welcome everyone to a respawn. I believe this is volume 20, which is insane. Also, uh, I know it's been forever since you've seen us. I apologize. We're fucking here now, baby. Woo! Also, so I should we're, say we're, we're on volume 19. Are we on volume 19? This a, yeah, this is volume 19, but I think this might be the 20th episode. That's fair. This is a. Uh, where I should look back and double check. Either way, issues 111 through 116 is the important part. Right. Um, I'm Derek. Yeah, I'm Colby. We didn't. It's been so long. We didn't do introductions. That we walked on. I walked on Derek's intro. This is where Rusty. Forgive us. We've had a crazy time, but we are back with some great, great spawn. We are. Yeah. Um, give away the game early, but I actually really like this volume a lot. I, so I did too. I had a little behind the scenes here. We legitimately, just so you know, had everything planned and ready to record literally months ago. We both ran into every hurdle under the living sun you can imagine. Uh, so I had notes. Uh, Derek had notes. We had both read it ready, but had so much time pass. We ended up rereading it, and yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we did. And because also, this is like just kind of fun, pulpy spawn almost. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you may or may not remember, but when we did the uh, Volume 18, um, I had some real problems with Angel Medina's artwork. There was a lot of inconsistency, and mm-hmm. I thought he took a lot of shortcuts. Um, I don't know if McFarlane pulled him aside and slapped him around a little bit. I don't know if he just realized you know, he was on a big book and he needed to be bringing um, a better game. I don't know if maybe he just you know, found uh, some some reserves within himself. Even just from issue, what issue are we on? Eleven. So even just from issues one ten to one eleven, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a definite like something snaps. Something snaps into place. Yeah. Uh, the art in this volume is so much better than uh, his initial few issues. Uh, maybe he just needed some time to adapt to a, a, you know a monthly schedule on a big book. I don't want to. I don't want to try to disparage the guy, but just somewhere in between uh, issues one ten and one eleven, uh, a, a switch flipped, and the art in this volume is pretty uniformly incredible. Oh yeah, I, I took notes about it several times where I put great work, including uh, again to spoil a little bit where we're going. Issue 114 in particular, like, blew me away art-wise. I was shocked at how much I dug it. Is that the first issue of The Bridge? Yes, it is. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I yeah. totally get that. There was, um, oh, oh, we should mention, uh, this will be, we mentioned the issue number. This is the final three parts of The Kingdom. It is the, uh, the entirety of the two-parter bridge, plus it's kind of, ep- uh, it's a little epilogue slash prologue in a weird way that's stuff that's coming to and epilogue slash follow-up slash prologue yeah it's 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 definitely mcfarlane's um interesting question mark uh storytelling um we've we've talked before on this podcast about how it seems like he really tends to fly by the seat of his pants and just write things as they hit him yeah so that there's there's not just a tremendous amount of long form planning in these books. And for the most part, that's great. It, it really works. Um, but yeah, that's a, the, the last issue of this volume is, is really definitely a, I want to bring this character back. I want to, I want to catch up with them, but also I have to, you know, put some seeds out going forward. Um, again, not to give too much away, but there, you know, I, I haven't done a mysterious, uh, hint-filled conversation with Cogliostro that goes nowhere in a few issues. May as well do one of those. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of a, a 
a baker's dozen of, of McFarlane's ticks and tropes. Not that that's a bad thing. No, I totally agree, and I think, again, this is one of those volumes, and I think as a volume, it's actually one of the better beginning to end. Like, you get so much meat on the bone for both these stories that, mm-hmm. even though, again, the final issue, it's, it's almost actually a pretty good final issue for a volume like this, especially since we're so used to the volumes just ending a quarter of the way through a story. Right, yeah, that was a... Uh my big complaint for last volume too and it is so funny that again we we ended the in the middle of the kingdom last volume and felt really disappointing but uh the kingdom as a story ends up being i think so far one of my favorite multi-part spawn stories i I totally agree it is such a fun story of again it's basically just spawn versus vampires but it's so much more than that in a fun way (laughs) Right, and also, you know, going back to that, um, one thing that I really loved that uh, McFarlane did was making the vampires are still very much representatives of heaven in this yeah. world. And it, it wasn't just that one-off one vampire. Uh, it is very, it is very much, um, you know, set in stone here that the vampires are on the side of heaven. The vampires yeah. uh, are are under the angels, and look at Spawn as. You know, a demon that needs to be destroyed because of his connection to Satan and to Malbolgia, yeah. uh, which is really fantastic. I think Simon Pure is, um, I mean, a little over the top, but I don't think you can have a Spawn villain who's not a little over the top. And at least he's not like the freak or something. No, and I, I think he works for the current world of Spawn really well, too. Because like you said, he's over the top, but not not in a way that isn't befitting such a weird world that we're currently in in the Spawn universe. Because, right. like you mentioned... Uh, something that McFarlane genuinely, I don't hear enough people talk about, you just mentioned the fact that like turning vampires into heaven's foot soldiers is such an interesting idea, and even more so how they explore it, especially in the fi- in the final couple parts of them like literally being hounds of heaven, is like such an interesting take on characters, and it's one of those things where I don't know if McFarlane had always had this idea of heaven and hell has... He just fell into it or what, but the deeper you get into Spawn, the more interesting Heaven, Hell, the Green, essentially, and everything in between really becomes. Now, I want to uh, interject something really quick, just because in the interim, um, there was another Humble Bundle sale, and just because of the creators, I picked up uh, a small chunk of the Vampirella books that that went on a Dynamite sale recently, because they had the the Grant Morrison, Mark Miller uh, Vampirella run, um, which also plays with the idea of uh, vampires being actually from uh, heaven, not hell, and specifically that... Uh, Jesus was turned into a vampire um, and and is actually a vampire messiah because of the torture he endured. Um, Somehow he was forced to drink blood and became a vampire. I can't remember the exact story. It's it's a very 90s. It's very 90s Morrison and Miller where basically they're both those writers are writing for shock value more than actually trying to tell a story. Um, but so, I mean, there is some precedent in comics up to this point. Um, but like you say, I think what McFarlane does with it is way more interesting than even what, uh, Morrison and Miller were doing. But again, mostly because I don't think Morrison and Miller were interested in telling a story as much as they were just being like, ha ha, look at us, Mm -hmm. look at the, the, shit that we're getting away with over here outside of uh, Marvel and DC. McFarlane was like that, I think, has been like that and, and has that those traits. But I don't think he was – that was actually – he wasn't 
reveling in blasphemy here. I think he was legitimately trying to tell a story and, and create characters, oh, if that makes sense. I entirely agree. We should mention also, I've, I've said pulpy, we said fun. Even though these issues are very fun and have a lot of uh, just moments of excitement and big battles and big fights. There's also... so many excellent fights in here. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I don't mean to cut you off, but the, the number of times Angel Medina does a double play splash of just a ridiculously awesome battle. Um, again, I, I have to, I, I feel like I owe this man an apology because the, the art in his double page spreads is so fucking kinetic. It's so exciting. Um, I'm, I'm really deeply impressed, but I know where you're going with this. So again, I apologize. Oh, no, you're fine. Cause yeah, I totally agree. Like there is, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about it. Almost every issue in this has like some incredible fight scene in it. Almost every single issue here, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's spawn. So especially with McFarlane Capullo and Angel Medina's now you like, you kind of almost expect there to be that, but to see it consistently in such a grandiose, epic way that actually feels epic and feels like this big battle and some of the creative ways they fight in it is something that I don't know if it was McFarlane, if it was Angel, or whose idea it was, but it was I, the, like the fight choreography in it and how he uses it, how Spawn uses elements of the vampires change. It really did feel like an escalation of fights between every issue to the point where you know, and in, in especially in issue 112, it comes to this giant head, and you're like, oh shit, this feels like a giant epic moment. Right. And it's, it's interesting, I'm very curious, because um, I feel like McFarlane being an artist first, and then a writer, um, I feel like if he were working for himself, he would be very loose script, because he would know what images he wanted to capture. But I... I feel like, and this would be an excellent question to ask him if we ever get a chance, um, he would be much more, well, I don't know. I, I feel like my, my, my gut instinct is he would want more control of the page and he would uh, be a little bit more descriptive in his scripts. Um, but also, like I say, he's an artist first and he may just be like, look, I know you're going to do something awesome with this. Yeah. Here's, here's the character, here's the beats I want. Here's some of the dialogue I'm going to use. You know, I have to think based on stories we heard, we heard from Capullo moving from Spawn to eventually Batman and how oh, that's true with Snyder. Yeah. yeah. How objectionable Capullo was to the way that Snyder was used to working of super, detail telling the artist exactly what to do i have to believe McFarlane probably gave him a lot of leeway knowing that capullo was so opposed and like shell-shocked by that idea right but also you get these you know we go from these uh, beautiful again beautiful double page spreads to the very mcfarlaney like here's 15 panels on a page yeah. with 30 dialogue balloons and that or uh, three six nine twelve page uh, uh, panels on a page with literally three, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirty, 30 you know, almost 20 dialogue balloons. And yep. that's, that's a very McFarlane writer kind of thing. So I kind of wonder if he skips back and forth and is like, you know, okay, here's the fight scene. I need it to be five pages. It's going to have this dialogue, you know, go to town. Whereas if he's got like a, an exposition page or a storytelling page, he's like, okay, I need, you know, I need 12 panels. I need it to be more or less repeating on this one character so that I can fit this dialogue in there. Yeah, it's got to be, I don't know, that would be a good way to like ask him when he has, especially a story like this where he's also, we should mention uh, Brian, Hol- I always fuck his name, Holgian, Holguin, Holgin, Holgin. 
Colgan, yeah, I have I no idea. Uh, but doing uh, some heavy lifting on not because technically it's entire volume or the entire volume. McFarland's on plot, but uh, Brian's on plot and story. Oh shit, you're right. Yeah, which is honestly pretty seamless, knowing that Brian is one of those characters that's interesting because, to my knowledge, he did the like Aria series from '99 to 2003. He did that Kiss Psycho Circus in like '97. And right, spawn. but for, for McFarlane Studios. So, yeah. I mean, he, he has been a, a McFarlane disciple since he broke into the business, as far as I know. And to my knowledge, I don't know if he's done anything beyond those. Right, yeah. I'm sure... And he's, he's worked on several different Spawn books, too. He, yeah. he worked on a lot of the... Um, the spin-off uh, stuff. He did, like... I think he did you, yes. God Slayer, I think, is one he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I it's just... I think he did Spawn Undead. He may have. He, he was involved in tons of those spin-offs. And I... It's funny, because, again... It, these are written for the Spawn universe, especially. It's like if you were to tell me, "Oh yeah, McFarlane's not real super heavily involved in these." I and again, when I first looked at the credits, I wrote down every issue like I normally do. But to see he was uh, consistent on every issue it shocked me because it doesn't read like a fill-in writer or a guest writer. It reads like right. McFarlane. Yeah. Well, again, with all of McFarlane's weird ticks and mm-hmm. you know occasional. Um, Oh God, abuse is too strong a word, but uh, occasion, occasional um, bending of traditional uh, writing and storytelling conventions. Yeah. Um, again, I say that as a writer, it's 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 not it's never bad. It's never yeah. outright bad. But there are sometimes I I read his work and I'm just like, oh Todd, you scamp. Yeah, I like he he's one of those people. It's like he doesn't necessarily push. His own writing all the time, and but also to the point of there is. I was watching a study recently about kind of why certain songs and certain talents uh, were embraced by the mainstream and why some weren't. And it basically ended up on a graph scale that kind of the key to victory for a lot of artists is this weird combination of simple genius. Of bare bones, Michael Jackson, ABC equals one, two, three type of shit. Of like, it's you know, simple thing, but if you find that formula where you can plug it in, it will also get hooked in everyone's heads and make a statement to come forever. Okay, this is, I've got to pull this to the side for a second. Oh, yeah. This is a, a weird off the path, but have you ever uh, heard of the Axis of Awesome? Yes, yes, the uh, Four Chords. Four, four Chords. Yeah. Yeah. It's Everyone true. out there, if you haven't listened to Four Chords by Axis of Awesome, yeah. pause this podcast, go to YouTube, check it out real quick. It's hilarious and also savage as fuck. Oh, yeah. It, well, it's one of those things when you break down. Whether it be the formula of anything, even as a wrestler, you break down a wrestling match, at the end of the day, they, if most great matches follow a very, very similar formula. It's just interesting how, depending on the spices and flair you add to that formula, whether it be wrestling, comics, music, writing in general, any kind of artistic endeavor, it's mind-blowing when you look at it and you can see the outline's the same, but the color inside completely changes the picture. There you go. That's an Excellent description. And uh, one thing I wanted to build off of, because you were you were building towards it, and I, again, I am the master of derailing conversations. No, you're fine. Today. Um, you were talking about how, you know, as, as fun and as epic and as badass oh. as, as these stories are, there's also some crippling emotional moments yeah. that really, uh, really hit home. Uh, not the least of which is, you know, 
the whole thing building throughout the kingdom, the big subplot, is Twitch is losing his son. Yeah, Twitch is losing his son. He's losing his mind. Uh, we should say, we normally don't put any kind of like warnings or trigger stuff on shit, but uh, I, flat out, if things involving suicide and child loss and endangerment of children, if things like that fuck you up, these issues are probably not for you. Yeah, yeah, the, and it reminds me of when, you know, going all the way back again, which we're going to have to do later, going back to issue 30 <laughs> yeah. um, with, the, with the two abused children and how I remember that issue hitting me so hard uh, when I was younger and, and how it still has that power to hit today. Um, yes, you know, there's a, there's a splash page of Twitch sitting in a chair with a gun to his head, and he spends – most of issue, I think it's uh, one thirteen. Yeah, one thirteen. Yeah, uh, debating whether or not to blow his own brains out, and then you know our I can't even call him a hero. Our part, our protagonist Spawn stops him specifically because he's too worthwhile an agent. He doesn't give him a pep talk. He doesn't you know try to to sugarcoat anything. He literally tells him you know buck up soldier. And then disappears. Yeah, it's like it's the line is literally something like, you know, why? What do I have to live for? What are you doing? And it's like I may need you, and that's it. Yeah, I may have need of you again. Yeah, I'm li- yeah, I'm looking at it, and yeah, that's that's it. That is the the cold comfort that again the the, the character we've been reading about for 113 issues offers a character we've been reading about for 112 issues. Oh yeah, you know we should. I'm gonna just jump into 111 because you're right. We're like. I'm excited to talk about this stuff, so we should, we'll jump in, 111, Kingdom Part 5, came out uh, August 2001. I cannot believe we're already in the 2000s. That's I know. badass. It is insane, it's insane, like, it, we talk about it almost every volume, but how easy and habitual it is to just read one issue after another of Spawn is a testament to why it's lasted over 300 issues now. Mm-hmm. Because it really is like every time a story arc ends, McFarlane is kind of, the one thing I will always give him. He's kind of the king of a, making a lot happen while nothing really happens at the same time. So you constantly are wanting more, even though you just got this epic thing. Uh, some people would argue with the second part of that. Fair. <laughs> I think I, I feel like the his um, his detractors can definitely point to the first part and say, yeah, he definitely is the person who can make you know feel like nothing's happening when. But there is, I don't know. It, it's again, it's that weird writing trick that he does mm-hmm. where he's breaking the traditional conventions of storytelling. And I think whether or not you can actually enjoy McFarlane is whether or not you can get on board with that. Yeah, 100%. It's like I mentioned earlier, he is so great at if you if you are prepared to essentially just have to deal with, like, yeah, there's going to be some stuff in here that might not be mind-blowing. There may be some, there may be some stuff that feels a bit fillery. He, in a weird way, does, he's so, also the king of backfill, does make shit feel important even if it wasn't in the time. Right, exactly. Uh, you know what, though? Controversial opinion. There may be new uh, new kings approaching that crown because as much as I know you're not a fan and I am, I will be the first to admit the Duffer brothers may be the new kings of backfill. <laughs> oh, man. I wish I, I wish I had enough knowledge to uh, allow you to expand on that. Um, my wife recently basically begged me to to give Stranger Things another shot. And I watched the entire first season, and 
I, I'm just not on board, man. I'm hey, sorry. It's fair enough. You don't like the first season, you're not going to like the rest. I think that's fair. Right. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't get more like, oh, it gets more subtle or anything. It's like, no, it kind of goes reverse a lot, which is, again, <laughs> that's fine, but. I, I, as a fan of Stranger Things, I will be the first to say, if you do not like the first season, then you, there's not, like, a ton of hope. It's that kind of thing people will go, oh, well, but it gets, there's these epic moments, and once you get to season five, I'm like, I will never tell someone, hey, there's this really fucking amazing, awesome fight scene in season five, but you really gotta watch four and a half seasons to understand it. I'm not gonna fucking tell someone that. This bullshit. If you like it, you'll love it, fair. But if you didn't like if you gave it a season and you're like, and eh, not for me, then that's fair. Thank you. That's not bad at all. But uh getting back to to some spawn here. Yes, yes, yes. Uh one eleven starts with Simon and Spawn having a bit of a confrontation. I will say, this is early on in the book. I might my again between notes and reading, I might jump around a little bit. Early on in this book Spawn summoning the green wave to drown all the vampires and to slow them down. One of the most, I thought, unique outside-the-box ways of thinking to slow down very fast characters you've established can live in almost any condition but are affected by the conditions around. Yeah. I, I just thought that was an awesome way to be like, oh, we have, how are you going to go away from all of us? And literally using what we now know. I know he has a name for it. It's the green. It's it's the fucking green. We're going to call it the green, okay? That's easy to remember, and it's literally a giant green wave. Right, and, that, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah, he has Swamp Thing powers. Yeah. Spawn has Swamp Thing powers. Deal with it. It's fine. And, you know, it's it's definitely something that I've to, you know, come to terms with and come around to. And that's, and that's exactly what it is. And I really... That's one of my favorite things about uh, the evolution of Spawn as a character is that his his new superpowers are essentially supercharged empathy, mm-hmm. which fucks him up, and then also you know how that ties into the Earth. Yeah, it, like it's it's great because you get uh, talk again talking about epic battles. You get a, some great scenes of Spawn fighting vampires on the bottom of the sea floor, while Simon's desperately trying to get away, eventually cutting his own his own arm off to get away. It's just a fun, like, really action-packed way to start. It's so action-packed, there was part of me thinking, this wouldn't be a horrible idea for a Spawn movie, to be honest, to do some loose retelling of the kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I still think, unfortunately, with the original Spawn movie being so far, I mean, the original Spawn movie is almost 30 years old at this point. Yeah. Um, you still probably have to do a, an origin story, um, but I think this would be a good, like, part two. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think, again, Spawn's origin probably, I think he's a character if they, whenever, whenever, if ever a new movie comes out, you probably do have to have at least some bit of time, because unlike, unlike most well, characters... you're going to have to have The Violator, you're going to have to have Malbosia, these are just things that you're probably going to have to have Jason win. These are things that are expected. You know, you've got, yeah. you've got to play the hits, you've got to hit the expectations. But once you've done that in the first movie, and I think a lot of, you know... Marvel movies have actually, um, I think Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was a, a good example of this. You know, once you've hit those, you know, A to B to C character moments that you expect in the first film, you can do whatever the fuck you want in the second one. Yeah, and you can honestly, with Spawn, you can probably jumble quite a bit together, to be honest, because, again, there's, there are, especially now with some legal issues that would be involved, there's a lot that you can kind of cut around, cut off, and really hone in and focus. And I do think you're right. Stuff like the Kingdom... That's probably why I think I enjoyed it so much, because it is like meat, potatoes, spawn. You have the demon from hell that wants to do good fighting vampires from heaven that are doing bad. 
Yes. Yeah. And in the middle of that, you also have Ab and Zab. Yes. Are definitely earning their R2 and 3PO like role in this kind of yeah. just being there and occasionally having something to say or do. Um, more so than I would say Sam and Twitch. Sam and Twitch I don't, are feel feel too integral in a way yeah. that Ab and Zab. You know, you could you could pull them in and out of the story, but whenever they're there, something is happening, um, and they have such a key moment or a key role in this uh, in the completion of the Kingdom story. I, I really. I've really come around to these guys. Oh. I, I, I know you are, you've been a fan for a long time. I was I was kind of on the fence. I thought they were funny, but I didn't know if they needed to stick around. But uh, the kingdom sold me on them. Oh, yeah, I agree. This is one of their, I think, one of their highlights in all of Salon history, to be honest. I think it's, it's very fun. Uh, speaking of interesting Twitch, speaking of Twitch, we go from that fight to uh, Max in a, in a dream state talking to Twitch and saying goodbye through the dream. And, again, just a really well done... At least in my opinion, really well done. A father talking to son. Eventually, it gets interrupted by I can't remember her name, but the girl that recruited him into the vampire. Yeah, yeah. the vampire girl that recruited him to the vampire cult and all that. Uh, and it's this really, this really nice moment that kind of sets up things to come really well. Actually, that I was like, oh, that's that's really you know, Twitch is doing anything. Have his his kid. Uh, you have because he, he, they're in the Children of the Kingdom. That's what it is. Children of the Kingdom, right. and then you go from that to kind of children of the kingdom and spawn hatching both of their different plans and getting ready for a giant war, including what a scene that I want to say, I talk about movie scenes. It's one of the movies seems like, okay, this would be badass in a movie and anime where you have, uh, where you have the, him talking about embracing the light, doing light and cutting to the, are you ready to see the light? Literally with a hot poker, poking someone's poking his eyes out. Right. Well, I mean, and, and that's the thing is, it does cut before we get the actual it does. Uh, loss of the eye. But I mean, the, the the implication is well handled. Which it is kind of weird what Spawn will and won't show in Spawn <clears throat> because sometimes you get grotesque, like TVMA NC seventeen level of gore, gut. Dude, gross. I, I still remember the uh, the woman who was like. Like swallow bug spray or something. Yeah, the, the the bugs and and yeah, just that. Still, I mean, again, even as a forty year old man, the the memories of seeing that as a you know fifteen sixteen year old kid, uh, actually probably at that point eighteen or nineteen year old kid, but still, just it's still like you said grotesque. That is such yeah. an excellent word for it. It is grotesque, and then it, it. But you're right. Then it pulls away from and just does a really good job of of implying the grotesquery of, of this scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, and another thing that, again, I don't know if it's, I think, I've always said, I think McFarlane works extremely well when he's got a co-plotter or co-writer, something like that. And, and again, going back to some great lines of Ab and Zab and Spawn talking about that Ab and Zab are essentially Hell's openers. They're, they're door openers. That's what they are. And is Spawn ready to open the door he's wanting to because it's a door he can't unopen? Right. And I kind of like the like the severity they put on the situation for especially because you, you mentioned earlier we've seen them just be kind of sidekicky demon characters and for them to have a moment of seriousness that isn't followed by punchline isn't followed by I mean or isn't preceded by it but the fact that they treat it seriously they treat it like this is a fucking big deal if yeah. we do this we can't undo it and kind of leaving that mystery in the air and then uh, Spawn just of course being Spawn and wanting to go ahead with it I thought it was a great little way to close out this issue 
mm-hmm. and uh, kind of leave the sponsor. I'm like, oh, what's going on again? Every, every issue, I will probably repeat this, of it really makes you go, oh, fuck, i got to read the next issue. Exactly. And then also the, the two-page uh, Data Ma, which is the, the Children of the Kingdom, like looking down upon the uh, the populace yes. of New York, I'm assuming, and um, seeing their prey. And then that excellent, wonderful splash page of, of them just, you know, all lined up along the buildings oh, it, and uh, making, you know, their Matrix gear and making their threats. Yeah, it's so and, great because it reminds me so much of, like, like I said, you mentioned Matrix, very Matrix-inspired outfits, but... Having also like a very Sin City, the uh, them looking down on the crime, yes. literally. Yes. Oh my God, you're right. I didn't put that together. And again, what's great about it, you go from that, and we'll just go into because that goes literally from that straight into 112, which is uh, that what they're calling the Night of the Cleansing Beginning, and pretty much begins with those vampires descending down on who uh, Simon and Charge are saying, you know, the sinners, and it shows that the sinners have a mark, and they're hunting down these people that have a mark. And I thought it was such a cool thing of, like, you know, tearing a few people up and then start showing that where the mark goes. No one has a mark. None of these people have marks. So where'd the mark go? And, again, really putting, like, a, just a little mystery, a mini mystery that you know will be solved very soon into it, but one that is enough to go, like, it was set up a page ago, but for some reason I do care about, oh, yeah, where, right. that's weird. What's going on here? And also, this this double-page spread is the one I keep coming back to. is mm-hmm. just the, the amount of detail and care uh, Medina is putting into the terror of the civilians and the uh, the fluidity of movement we're seeing from the children of the kingdom as they're uh, falling upon them is just I mean it's just terrific it's, yeah. it's really hard to find the right uh, the right words because I'm just I'm so completely blown away um, by, by this uh, double page splash and there's so many of them in this book that are great but this one just I don't know the 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 focus on the old man looking up and screaming there just front center bottom of the page is just terrific it's it's easily the best work I've seen from Medina up to this point and like I said it really turned me around on him as an artist so we should also mention this came out uh, September 1st 2001 Oh, wow. Uh, oh, jeez. Yeah, so especially with it being New York, because we do get a major plot point that Sam and Twitch need to get Central Park cleared out and closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Twi- and it's also a scene kind of where, like, Twitch gets a moment with his family. That's actually a really pretty sweet moment mm-hmm. that you, especially feeling what's coming, is this great thing. Uh, and they get it closed, they get stuff, and they have uh, seven minutes past midnight, which... I, as a as a little metalhead in me, I, I part of me was like, is this, is this a seven minutes to midnight little Iron Maiden nod? I, <laughs> I have to imagine it might be. Yeah, I feel like it probably is. Yeah, it, it almost can't not be. Yeah, uh, then you kind of you have Abenzab in the background uh, getting to Max, and then what we talk about one of my favorite things you have the setup of one versus seven hundred seventy seven, essentially sin hunters versus one man full of sin. <laughs> and it is just a massive one of my one of the funnest fights in Spawn so far. Mm-hmm, absolutely, like it is just this massive. Again, I, I've been in a big kung fu mood and been watching Five Deadly Venoms, Ninja Assassin, Drunken Master, and things like that. Seeing uh, Blade of the Immortal, seeing Spawn essentially do something like that of they go out of the way to be one versus seven hundred seventy-seven is such a McFarlane Spawn thing to do. But it's kind of the <laughs> perfect level of. Fun, quirky, corny, violent, and just fun. Like, it's just fucking fun. I mean, fun. literally using chains to rip trees out of the ground and smashing people with trees. It's, yeah, it's, uh, 
It's a delight. Going back to uh, Angel and Art, this is if I again I don't know, I have no clue what what Angel has done in the past two decades. Right. No, I mean I'd have to really look more into because I was doing research and it was hard to find too much about him. And stuff like this and stuff with issues coming up really kind of bum me out that he hasn't done a ton more because kind of like Capullo there is so much potential for him on the right book mm-hmm. to did, I feel like he worked at Marvel for a bit I think he did I, so again they've done a lot but I don't know I don't know if it was ever they, I don't know if they ever just didn't get the character that really propelled him to the next level or what <sighs> happened because it's an interesting story of this is someone that clearly has the talent how did Angel Adina not get a bat book? You know, that's true. Like, like, like a regular bat gig. Like, I feel like maybe they they did Batman or have done a Batman, but like, how do they not like do a bat run or a yeah, detective like, comics run? Why is there yeah? Why is there not like a six issue arc to point to? Like, oh well, you know, they did this with Greg Rucka or some shit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like there should be something like whether it be a Spawn book, whether it be a Batman book, whether it be like there are. Any of those dark, a Moon Knight book, a Ghost Rider uh, yeah. book, like a successful long, not even long form, just six to twelve issues that you can point to because okay, this volume did, is who, amazing. Who did Devin Grayson's Ghost Rider book? Because now you got me wondering. Oh, no clue. No clue. Hold on. We may have to look that up more because I was looking and it's like I didn't see a ton on the bibliography, but those are normally bad about putting like cover work or filling work or anything like that. Right. So, um, totally could have been. I really don't. That was because it was the, one of the uh, secondary Marvel Knights runs. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was not well received. Um, there's very little actual dialogue in it. Uh, and this is not helping. Somebody is yelling in their headphones right now. And I apologize. <laughs> uh, no, it happens. We, we encourage yelling. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, no, yeah, I, tell I me. don't think I don't think it's Angel. I thought maybe it was. This, I remember the style being very similar, but I don't think it was. So I'm just gonna drop it. I can't seem to find it. Uh, any of the actual information, but anyway. Oh no problem. It's like again, I think it's worth looking into because again, this one really does show. I'm going to look up really quick. Uh, let's see. He did do some work for Marvel and for First Comics. Let me see what he did for Marvel. Uh, before starting work at Marvel. Let's see. Before starting the work on Marvel Comics. See what he did. What did he? I hate when it says. It's just like did. I'm guessing he did cover work because he did something for Incredible Hulk, Warlock and the Infinity Watch, Black Wolf, Avengers, Amazing Spider-Man, Marvel Knight Spider-Man. And then was all, but I think that was before. It looks like that may have been before uh, a lot of the image work. Oh wow! Yeah, because if he was on Marvel Knight Spider-Man, that would have been post uh, the Miller stuff because Miller was mostly um, fuck a duck. Let me see. I'll look. Let me see if I can find the exact issues that uh, he worked on. See if he actually. Uh, I'm trying to figure out now if he. Was doing just covers or actually stuff? Because if he did more than that, I might want to go back and pick some of these up just to see. Yeah, that's a fair point. Because 
again, this, uh, but the sad thing, if these were before this, I don't know, because we mentioned some previous volumes of Angel Work, we were, like, I didn't bug, mind it as much, but I wasn't the biggest fan where you were actively not on those. Yeah. And that's fair. Not, not into it. And that's totally fair. Uh, like, Looks like he worked on Sensational Spider-Man. Uh, oh, he did Venom: Dark Origin. Oh, with um, Zeb Wells. Oh, interesting. I don't know. Which if is I actually a pretty decent story. Yeah, I don't know if I knew that. Okay, that's not bad. Again, I I don't know. Don't know what's happened in the past what, long time though. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I will say I've read Venom Dark Origin. It's a pretty, it's a pretty decent little story, and his pencils are very good in it. Venom is grand, though. Uh, oh man, speaking of good, this uh, so this is going to be uh, going from because again, one twelve. So much of the the back half is devoted to the big fight, and it's a great fight. But it's literally one of the ones where unless we go panel by panel explaining it, this is one where I would say, guys out there, if you just want a big action fight scene. Uh, this is one of the issues that if you're a fan of just gorgeous big fights, buy it. Like, 112 yeah. is one of the coolest giant fights in Spawn. And I love the final page, which is a splash page of the vampires just piling on Spawn. And yeah. all you see are vampires and a red cape. But the way it's built, it's built almost like a, a crooked bone tower. Yeah. And uh, you, you can see that uh, Spawn is still resisting, but uh, his... Um, uh, he's definitely being overwhelmed. It's yeah. uh, it's gorgeous. Uh, so, and then we go into one thirteen, which uh, opens with an entirely different vibe. Yeah, and I should mention, I again, I was trying to do some research. I couldn't find out for sure. My guess is because of September eleventh uh, that this issue was delayed because this issue came out November first, two thousand one. Right. And again, it being based in New York, it being based uh, having to do with tragedy, having to do with a lot. For anyone who, well, nowadays for younger people who either don't remember those times or weren't around for those times, whatever it might be. It's like, it was a very surreal time in history. And I know you can read about it in history books, but there was like the month of September and October after September 11th, there was so many things that delayed. We didn't, didn't happen. know what was, we didn't know what was okay anymore. Yeah. Like, I think John Stewart put it best. He was like, you know, cause they did a daily show that, that, you know, on September 12th. Yeah. And, and, you know, he talked, he's talked about that and been like, we, uh, you know, at the time, we didn't know if it was okay to laugh. Yeah, and you know, not not even we didn't know it was okay to laugh about the Twin Towers flood. We didn't know if it was okay to laugh. Yeah, and it, just the the whole atmosphere of America was just shock because such such a such a attack on such a scale. We'd seen it on the news, but we'd never seen it. On, on our shores yeah. and it's 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 hard if you weren't there and i'm saying this to someone who was about 20 years old when it happened i was in college it's really hard to explain how different this country's vibe was before and after september 11th i am see i'm i'm in a weird age group where i was in like third second third grade when it happened and it's one of those things where it's like, I knew of a world before, and I have vague memories, but even me, the little, the like, seven, eight years before September 11th, I was alive, and then everything after. Again, you're very much, even even at, as a young kid, the difference was, like, palpable of, like, this, it's, things weren't, things did not return to any sense of normal for 
quite a while, and and comics, uh, it like books got delayed left, right, and center. Anything dealing with because again, New York, you have anyone out there you have to remember books like Spawn, like Spider Man, like a million X Men at the time. A few. Like, there we go. So many books were dealing just. It's that weird timing of so many books were dealing with nine eleven. Some are not nine eleven, but we're dealing with we're dealing with New York around nine eleven. Yeah. And, well, hell, um, DC had just finished the Our Worlds of War crossover, yeah. which featured a destroyed Metropolis, and the epilogue issue had like a big splash page of Metropolis in ruins. Um, DC made that issue uh, fully returnable. Yeah. Uh, for any for any retailer who was uncomfortable with the images being depicted in the comic, because that issue hit, I think I literally think that issue came out like September tenth. Yeah, and, or something like that. And then uh, of course, famously, you had Grant Morrison's New X Men featuring a plane flying into uh, I can't remember exactly what building, but some building that was very eerily reminiscent of September eleventh. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have again books like this where even though this is set in New York and not dealing with the Twin Towers. You gotta look at it from this perspective. It's probably why I was delayed. Again, it literally begins with Twitch being like no holds barred, completely suicidal. Like, well, and I mean, again, it's one of those McFarlane twelve panel pages, but he he uses the imagery so well. You know, yeah. the first two panels are pure black, and then you see the tops of the bullets, and then we zoom in on just a couple of fingers reaching for one. We zoom in on a bullet being picked up. We have an extreme close-up of the bullet being loaded. We And then that repeats. And then we see the barrel. And then we see the uh, cocking mechanism. Then we see the finger on the trigger. And it's just a, a sequence of images that even though they're in such close-up, you can barely distinguish what the items are. Yeah. It still tells a story. Oh, it tells Again, it's instantly that's something that McFarlane and his, the crew he surrounds himself with have always been fantastic at is somehow going from this violent, pulpy, crazy fun to like heartbreaking, real, relatable moments. And I'm I will never apologize for saying about Spawn. We mentioned with the child abuse, we've mentioned before some racism issues, we've mentioned before with some uh, just abuse in general, homelessness issues, and things like that. There are moments where it's like McFarlane's only poignant, but dead fucking on hitting your heartstrings. And this is one of those things. This entire issue, the bookends of this issue, are fucking hard. Yeah. Like, they get you. Because you go from that, and then you go back into the big fight. And you have Spawn. Again, one of my... Now, the green can be kind of weird. However, this will always be one of my favorite things, Spawn, when McFarlane kind of go, oh, could he do this? Him controlling an army of rats, bats, bugs, wolves, any of the night creatures and gross creatures to help him fight the vampires is a great moment of like, this is one of those powers when he brings it, whenever he brings it back, it's like visually for a comic, fucking amazing. And, you know, honestly, weirdly reminiscent of vampires themselves and something Spawn's been doing for, you know, like this close to a hundred issues now. I mean, I feel like yeah. he started doing it in the thirties. Yeah, it wasn't that long. Like he's definitely been doing it for forty to fifty plus issues for sure. If not even long, like you said, I, I just don't want to put a number on it for sure. But it is like I'm with you. I think thirties or forties. If not twenties, like it, cause I think you're right. I think it's thirties because it's, it's when he comes because those like the abuse and abuse issues and racist issues are like the end of the 20s beginning of the 30s like 28 right. to 32 ish 
and after that, in between there, he'd been with Angela and visited heaven or something. And I think he got his powers boosted. Yeah. Uh, but I want to I want to say by the time we introduce Cygor, um, he has even though he doesn't use it in that issue, I want to say he has that you know the the abilities over the creatures of the night, which again is ironically usually very associated with the vampires, and he is using them against vampires. Oh yeah. Which again, it starts with a great image of a vampire being attacked by a bat. Mm-hmm. It's a great little thing, and then of course that evolved into Spawn versus Simon, which is again another really fun fight, culminating in Spawn giving the mark of sin to Simon and him being attacked by his own kind. Yes, which is another like this. This sounds bad because it sounds like a backhanded uh, compliment to ever to give Spawn, but we are hundreds of issues in. And it's almost like our brains are so programmed by, like, oh, Spawn in the 90s, Extreme, this is this character. That's like, man, that's actually a decent setup to how you would take down that character. And going back to the Mark being mysteriously disappearing from the previous issue. Right. Well, and not just that. I mean, um, one of my early complaints about, you know, again, going all the way back to the, the single-digit issues of Spawn is, you know, we keep getting told that Al Simmons was just this brilliant warrior and, you know, just this uh, unkillable, unstoppable badass who was only taken down because he was betrayed by the person he trusted. And then every issue for those first, you know, few issues is just like, I'm going to shoot it. Yeah. And it, and it just you never saw the the thinking, calculating soldier in those issues. So it's, it is it is nice to see him like you know have a battle plan and and use his cunning and his intelligence. Yeah, no, it is a uh, it's great. It's it's awesome. You also you go from that and you have Ab and Zab, freeing Max. They kind of get uh, they are making some giant circle for this door. They get caught a little bit, but they're uh, eventually they fight him off. They're able to open the portal, and going back to a very cinematic visual, you have the citadel, this giant tower to heaven that the kingdom, the children of the kingdom have been making that Spawn couldn't attack because it was protected by something. They literally open a portal directly to hell in the middle of the citadel, destroying it and causing literal hell, you know, hell on earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, We're op- opening earth to hell. Yeah, opening a, a giant portal to hell. And then you come to what might be one of the saddest endings in Spawn history. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have Max. I kind of feel bad that I gave it away earlier. Oh, yeah, but we mentioned earlier, you have Max, uh, perceivably, for now, getting killed and being gone. Not knowing when you have, again, another like little dream sequence thing of him talking to Twitch and basically saying a, an actual final goodbye. Yeah. And then you have Twitch, we mentioned earlier, pulling the trigger to kill himself. He wants to die. The trigger, nothing happening. Him opening his eyes. Spawn is standing there with bullets in hand. He is, and again, we'll mention again, because it is such a just gut punch of a moment of Twitch, a father who has lost his son, has lost his wife, lost his girlfriend, has lost and regained his career, all, all tied up to Spawn. Now looking Spawn directly in the eye saying, what the fuck do you want from me? I literally have nothing left. I've lost everything. I have no reason to live. Why are you stopping to kill myself? And his response, like you just you said earlier, literally just meant, I may have need of you. Which is great, because it's not even like I need you. It's like, I might one day need your help, maybe. Yeah. So I can't allow you to kill yourself, even though you know, you've gone through all this stuff. 
and I'm to blame. I'm not, and again, no sympathy, no nothing. Just him looking at him dead in the face saying, I may need you, and this is more important than just your life. Yeah. And that's it. And that's the ending of the kingdom in a brutal, heartbreaking fashion. And that's, it's not like there's, it's not like next issue, oh, we retrieve. No, next issue starts the bridge, which we'll, yeah. we're about to get into. But I, the fact that Spawn, and not to spoil stuff later on, but the fact that they were willing to pull that trigger and just leave it in the air. They, it's not like yeah. next issue, it's not Twitch is getting his shit back together. He's fighting back up. No, Twitch, next three issues, uh, Twitch, not a part of. Yeah, yeah, uh, we have yet to see Twitch again. Yeah. Uh, as of this volume. So, uh, again, Kingdom, as overall, the Kingdom story is fucking great. I think it's one of, a, especially at this point in Spawn, one of the strongest Spawn stories as of just from beginning to end. Absolutely. Um, I wish, I do kind of wish that it had been collected in its own volume as opposed to split over two. Yeah. I, I, I understand the desire to just be like, okay, we're, we're doing this in six-issue chunks. Uh, we'll put out the next one in, you know, in a six-issue chunk. But it did... It, leaves kind of a weird sour taste in my mouth finishing issue 18 on a cliffhanger with or volume 18 on a cliffhanger with art that I didn't really love uh, and then I can't imagine what it was like for people who had to wait for the publication of the next volume yeah um, or, or well I guess no go ahead I was gonna say to put this in preference uh, or to put it kind of in the, uh, the range of time that came out November next issue didn't come out till January. Oh, geez, yeah. So you're left with that cliffhanger until January 1st, 2002, and then that begins the bridge, which, again, Twitch is not a part of. Right. And it's, it's definitely – so it's, I've talked about slash parentheses complained about – McFarlane occasionally does these like Spawn is barely in this issue or these issues. It's really about some other guy dealing with uh, – or some other character dealing with – evil or you know the ramifications of spawn being in this world and you know they they can be fun they can be interesting i usually don't enjoy them very much because i, I feel like they're like this is this is mcfarlane to me this is my feeling this is mcfarlane being like shit i don't know where i'm going here's a couple of filler books where while i get my bearings yeah this was actually really good yeah no i i entirely agree i mean Again, to keep on, I'll, I'll kind of, not to spoil too much, I also really dig the bridge. And uh, the bridge? Yeah, yeah. The bridge opens up, issue 114. Again, we mentioned January 1st, 2002. Uh, you start off at a Pacific hotel in Osaka, Japan, with uh, Ben Nakati as he's checking in, getting, uh, getting used to stuff. And he is uh, approached by who we, who we eventually know as Mammon. But, uh, Spoiler. Well, I mean, he's got the scars. Yeah. You know, you, it's pretty easy to make the, the yeah. uh, connection. It's it's there. And you basically, like, he's in town to help to plan this thing out, but there's an ancient temple involved. They kind of keep it there. And he's, and then uh, he you know basically asks if he wants to hear a story because of his last name. And he starts telling the legend of Nakate, a samurai, uh, an ancient samurai that has ties to not only his family but to this temple. And you kind of go on this little fun story back and forth between the present day of Mammon, Nakati, what he's up to, and the past samurai version. And I just point out, both issue 114 and 115, again, it's kind of a smaller story, 116 kind of. Uh, 
some of my favorite fucking art in <laughs> forever. There, there's one scene, the first time you see the act, the literal br- red bridge going from... I was going to say, It yeah. is a stunning page. Like, it visually... Redonkulous. It is amazing. It is... I don't know if it's just, again, if Angel's just, like, really into samurai and Japanese shit or what, but uh, excels at that. Uh-huh. Like, these issues... I think mean, it's kind of hard to talk about these. I'm, I'm probably going to combine a little bit of 114, 115, just because... Well, I mean, it is one big two-part filler story. Yeah. It just happens to be an exceptional filler story. Yeah, exactly, because you go from him, you know, learning a little bit of history and eventually him getting a call at the end of this issue of 114 about what's going on in the present day with the ancient rubble. You find out the connect, and in the first issue, you find out that essentially this Nakati was a samurai, was a lord, uh, in a... Essentially, it's told, it's, it's, again, very Japanese folklore interpreted by a Western writer. Uh, you know, he's going on this journey to discover himself, but to discover himself and what he really wants in life, what he really needs in life, he's got to face his dragon, and he's got to look the dragon in the eye, and eventually he, he confronts this dragon, sees this dragon, defeats him, but doesn't look him in the eye, so doesn't know what he really wants and needs out of life. Tying back into issue 115... Where you have the modern day Ben Nakati checking out the temple, he finds this golden box, and then you have what I want to call almost a Ghostbuster sequence of a bunch of ghosts <laughs> appearing on Earth and spawn in a really fun way, going and finding what each of them need to get on to the next life and helping them, like in just a like, fun little montage. Yeah, that it reminded me so much of Ghostbusters. I was really like, "What the? What? Okay, I'm. I didn't know this was coming, but I'm not against it." Honestly, I didn't put that connection together, but you're absolutely right. It is it is a, a good little scene because um, again, we've hammered that point home over and over that Spawn has been given empathy, but again, the the level of empathy that he has been hit with is you know it's overwhelming. It's too much, mm-hmm. and he's not a, a hero in the traditional sense, but he does. It kind of reminds me of, um, oh God, what is the Hell, Hellraiser, Hellblazer issue 25? Hold me. Oh, yes, yes, and Neil Gaiman was. Some, somebody who just needs, uh, you know, if he, if he can just help this person, they can finally move on. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's what Spawn has, has taken upon himself. He has, and does it beautifully. Like, I love the fact that eventually only one ghost remains. It is. Uh, the ancient Nakati, the samurai, and him and uh, Spawn and Nakati have a samurai duel on this epic bridge so he can have a fair final fight and die a warrior's death. And die with honor. And die with honor. And it is, uh, honestly, like I said, a great little moment that ends with a very Twilight Zone ending where, of course, Mammon was up to it all along. He had to get this golden box. And then you have the uh, the present day Nakati, now a ghost stuck in the hotel. Yeah. And that, that's, again, you want to talk about downer endings. I was like, it's it's a, it's a very Twilight Zone ending. But after seeing uh, Spawn help all these other ghosts, it was kind of disappointing that. Yeah. And maybe it's, and maybe, you know, if, if Nakati doesn't come back, I'm just going to headcanon it that off screen. Uh, yeah. Spawn just didn't know this ghost existed for a moment and then goes back to help him. Um, but it is, it's, it's one of those things where 
it makes total sense for Spawn to not be helpful. Whenever yeah. he helps someone, it's usually towards his own ends. But it is it is nice, you know, to get the the, the rare issue where he's like, ah, fuck it, this guy, you know, these ghosts didn't do anything to anybody. You know, they're not a part. They're not a part of this. They're not a part of this war. They haven't earned any of this. I will take care of them. Yep. It's like, it's a fun thing. It sets up stuff in the future again with what the fuck's Mammon doing, what's this golden ball. It's kind of the perfect filler, little filler arc after a big arc where it, it's not like just a one-off nothing matters issue. It's two issues that uh, tell a complete story, but also set up shit in the future. Right. And again, it's like normally when McFarlane does these these filler issues, it's just like you can you can taste the the the, the oh shit, oh shit, oh shit on the page, or at least I feel like I can. Yeah. You, 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 you can sense the not the the uh, the insurity the unsurety of it. Yeah, and you definitely don't get that with these. It's, yeah, it's say that's a it's a it's a rare treat. It really is, and uh, so this goes into issue one sixteen, which is an interesting one because I feel like a lot happens, but also it's one of those classic Swan things. A lot happens, but also there wasn't a ton that happens. You essentially have again. Same well, that's because. Again, and this this is this is becoming probably my least favorite McFarlane trope. Spawn and Cog have a conversation. Cog mumbles some mysterious stuff because, again, for all of McFarlane's you know high qualities, dude doesn't know what he wants to do with with Cog. Yeah. He doesn't know where he wants to go with it. So uh, he backfills in the future. We know that. But right now at this moment, he has no idea. So all Cog can do is be like, you're doing it wrong. And Spawn being like, fuck you, old man. And, you know, that's unfortunately the A plot. The B plot, which is far more interesting, I don't think gets as much screen time. The interesting thing here, I may have felt very similar speaking of backfill, like literally two years ago. But because King Spawn has now been coming out, <laughs> it ties in remarkably well. Okay. And speaking of backfill, it's like this is a lot of what King Spawn has to deal with, but just with the advancement of you know two hundred whatever issues of the effects of that. Where since so essentially it comes down to Cog and Spawn talking about the power vacuum he created when killing Malbolgia, and now because he didn't take up the throne, like it's tradition in hell. There's now all these powers finally be. It's making things worse than ever. He thinks he's helping people. He's really not. But Spawn... Actually, the one thing I will give it does a little bit of a di twist on the typical Spawn Cog thing where they do the... Spawn has a plan that Cog's like, fuck, it's stupid, but it maybe will work. <laughs> and uh, like I said, intercut with that, you have the youngest child from the abuse issues. It's now the third time we've seen him. Mm -hmm. And we have seen him spawn. Thinks he saves him from his father, but uh, by by uh, the events of that issue, it leads down this horrible path of uh, of him becoming this kind of juvenile delinquent, doing stuff. Eventually, trying to go see Spawn, which leads to even more trouble. And now yeah. we're seeing him as a young adult, and him going to uh, find Spawn and looking for redemption. Literally, becomes the new redeemer. Yes. Which is, I will say, I do like the idea of Spawn's ghost from his past literally haunting him on even when he thought he did a good thing. It is now going yes. to end up being an incredible monster villain for him to fight. 
I, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that was a really good twist. And honestly, until I did the reread, I forgot that was the ending of this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel like the character first known as Anti Spawn, who becomes the Redeemer, uh, all three people who have have ended up with this role, this is a Redeemer role. You're you're absolutely right. They are they are people Spawn thought he was rid of either because he had done well or because he thought he had, you know, cleansed himself of their presence. Jason yep. Wynn, uh, this kid, and I can't remember who the second one was, um, but it was same situation. I remember yeah. that. Um, and that is a really fa- fascinating and fantastic angle to take this particular character, the Redeemer character, or the Redeemer entity, I guess, would be a stronger uh, yeah definition of it um unfortunately that's really all there is to this issue yeah it's it's a great ending but i feel like the 20 pages leading up to it are the least strong in this volume i agree well i totally agree because i again legitimately i think from start to finish i said it earlier at the top of the show one of the best just solid volumes of spawn like Mm -hmm. if you again if you're just looking for fun spawn you're like hey i just want spawn spawn fighting shit doing big things and having some cool story moments. Like this is actually probably the best case scenario of every issue in here. does something that effect. Even the final issue though, I admit nowhere near as good as the first five does end on an interesting enough cliffhanger where I'm like, okay, I can get behind yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I can get behind this. And like you said, it did make me want to go ahead and pick up the next volume. Yeah. So it's not dull. It's just, it's nothing we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, Going with, uh, I mean, we really don't touch on this anymore because we're so deep in it. It's really a question that doesn't make sense. While this is definitely not a Spawn comic to give a Spawn neophyte, it is 100% a Spawn comic, uh, Spawn collection to give someone who either walked away from Spawn or is curious about Spawn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you if you want to, or you know. They're familiar with the character in his world, but they want to see what all the fuss is about. This is an excellent volume to toss them, I think. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. Like, especially for us coming back after a little bit of hiatus by accident, mm-hmm. rereading <laughs> this was like a breath of fresh air. I was like, fuck it's a joy. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. great. I read it in one sitting. I had fun with it. I was like, man, this is, again, why I love doing Respawn is moments like this where you're reading it and you're expecting, you know, oh, I'll be okay, Spawn. And you get done with it, you're like, fuck, was that just like... Maybe the best comic I've read all week? Spawn? <laughs> no fucking way. And then you get halfway through, you're like, I don't know if it's the best, but it's a contender. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's, again, something that I think a lot of Spawn detractors uh, don't seem to... It's something we've, we fought against for you know the entire two years or however long we've been doing this podcast to this point and continuing on, is, you know, Spawn's fun. Yeah, like... I think that's it's, why it's, it's, it's got a lot of dourness to it. There's a lot, there's a lot of darkness to it, but overall, Spawn's pretty goddamn fun. It is like I have said a million times, especially at this point where we're at in Spawn. Spawn at some point goes from uh, from generic '90s anti-hero to pretty quickly. Uh, we've talked before, like Hell's version of the Spirit from DC. Uh, the Spectre. The Spectre, sorry, the Spectre. And uh, then slowly becomes this weird, empathetic combination of, like, the Spectre, the Crow, and Swamp Thing. 
Yep. This weird, like you have moments of this great introspection. You have moments of dealing with. Again, I can't get over the fact of when McFarlane handles realistic moments like suicide. It's not. It's unflinching and unnerving because he handles it with a form of honesty that you don't really expect from a book like this. So it kind of catches yeah, you off said guard. This word fifteen hundred times this podcast, but. McFarlane is surprisingly empathetic to the human condition. And that goes all the way back to those uh, early single-digit issues because he has always – he was always empathetic to the bums in the alley. Always. And it was one of those things where we talk about all the time, but it is sad how so many things and issues Spawn deal with are still so relevant to these modern times. And it sucks that they are. It's horrible. But when you see something like McFarlane – no one gives him the credit for, like, saying, no, these are actually kind of important stories that will be relevant in in 20, 30 years. Right. No one gave him that credit. And if we do anything with this podcast, being the fact, like, hey, yes, he's probably egotistical as fuck. Yes, he definitely fucked a lot of people over. Maybe not more so than anyone else in the comic industry at his level, to be honest, sadly. Right. And, uh, and, and yes, he has this... Kind of like Dan DiDio, he kind of has this bro-y meathead, like, tone of voice and kind of how he, you know, talks and and pitches himself. But you shouldn't hold that against him as a creator. Not only as a creator, but like you said, his adeptness to the human condition, his (laughs) honesty with, and in fact, in like recent interviews where he's like, oh yeah, I did this, I regret doing this. And we always forget, like, this was a young dude that they went off and ventured into creating their own empire and it worked. Mm-hmm. And it's like, of course he fucked up long way. Of course he did horrible shit because you give someone under the age of 35 that much power and ability. And that much money. And that much money and be able to do these crazy things. But the fact to me that he was still able, even at this point, because this is, again, 2000s. This is past peak spawn. We are now starting the descent. Yes. And the fact that he's still empathetic, has a heart, has moments where the important part again, in these books, one thing I love is it's never, these things that he hangs his hat on are never oh, well, here's an awesome fight of of Spawn versus a devil, and this is what we spend the entire issue on. It's like, what he hangs his hat on are always these emotional, poignant moments coming back to how this curse that Spawn has been gifted is becoming a problem and infecting everyone around him and everything in his circle to such degree that is he the question of is he doing more uh, more harm than good is not all, it's not really a question it's becoming more and more like how do you undo all the harm you've done by existing right yep and uh, also just again speaking of McFarlane as a person for for someone who is absolutely an artist first came up in the industry as an artist he his focus on character. Yeah. And, and honestly, maybe not Spawn as a character. I feel like Spawn is, even 120 issues into this, Spawn is almost a cipher. But his his care for his, for his characters, like, again, you know, the bums in the alley, Sam yeah. and Twitch, um, the, the children from the abuse issue. Um, well, I think... That... that it permeates the book. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, kind of going off what you were saying there, I think the reason why the Swamp Thing or kind of Animal Man mentality that Spawn has become in these issues, I think the reason why it works without question is 
he's been able to do something similar, and again, this I know it sounds crazy, but read the issue, trust me, it's there. He's able to do something similar enough to what the core of what Moore did with Swamp Thing, what Morrison did with Animal Man. Not, again, by no means I'm saying he's that level of writer yeah, there, by any the means. The level of craft isn't there, but the, the, the emotion yeah. and the, the heart, the desire to, to make the character more. Going back to, well, we kind of started this conversation with the idea of, like, simple, elegant, compli- complicated genius the idea of, yeah, he's not doing the the giant, amazing, groundbreaking writing, showing how what a comic writer can actually do in the medium, like Moore or Morrison. But he's, in a lot of ways, in some instances, not all, but I would, again, I would hang the Twitch stuff in this issue, or in these issues, up against almost any similar moment in Moore and Morrison, and he's not that far off in the gut punch of the heart. He's yeah. not that far off in the meaning. He's not that far off in that. Like, like again, I can think of a couple of Morrison moments. But I think the other thing is, Moore and Morrison almost always have this end up being very hopeful moment, whether it be Superman stopping the girl from killing herself, whether it be things of, of Swamp Thing and Abby and all these characters. Oh, I was going to make the, uh, the Flex Mentello comparison. Yes. Because, you know, the, the, the main character of Flex Mentello, the... the is he a musician? The, the oh, rock star? Yeah, you yeah. Has, you know, he spends four issues contemplating suicide and ultimately comes out the other side of it hopeful uh, because of the power of superheroes. Um, and McFarlane isn't having any of that shit. But also, it's not done in like this weird, negative, deconstructionist narrative that some that people would try to do later and before. It, right. it just feels right for the story. It feels like, no, this is what Spawn would do. This is right. what the way this character has been presented. It's like he would not allow a character, even one that he cares about, to kill himself. Not only not allow it, he won't give relief. Not because his heart, not because he matters, but he knows what he is facing is this massive, world-ending thing, and he knows he may need Twitch one day, and that's as good of a reason as any to stop him from being from killing himself. And also, he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's not going to sugarcoat it, yeah. Because Spawn is not a good person. Yeah, it comes... It always reminds me... I, uh, one of my favorite Batman lines and it's from that Jeff Loeb ever did was the hush, you know, the difference between Batman and Superman, the whole, like, yeah. you're a, deep down, you're a good person. Deep down, I, I am not. not. Yeah. And Sp- I love that, because Spawn kind of takes that to almost another level where he's like, I know I'm not, and I'm not going to try to pretend like I am. And I'm either. not going to pretend. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the key. I will not pretend to be something God, that I know I am not. Damn it, that got, gets me hyped for uh, a <laughs> like Batman Spawn crossover that hasn't happened because it's not the McFarlane one or the Frank Miller or any of that stuff deals with that. Like, right? Goddamn, you have like a mo- uh, like a comic written and done by the right team that's based around that difference in Spawn and Batman. It would be fucking incredible. Like, yeah, I know we just talked about it. You put something like Gaiman or Morrison in that type of Spawn Batman story? Oh, I'm Gaiman there all day. Will never, ever do that. Never. <laughs> never. For a lot of reasons. A lot of... McFarlane yeah. clearly would never... Let's be more honest. You put Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo on that story? <laughs> oh, shit. Yep. Uh, that is 100% the creative team that does that. Yeah. And you know what? I eat up every inch of it, you know? I, uh, I feel like that'd probably be one of the Snyder trains that I would be on board for. I feel like, it, if anything, <laughs> it would be a, a hell of a ride. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be beautiful. Yeah, oh, it would. Oh, it'd, it'd be would beautiful. Be fucking stunning. It would be, and there'd be probably some man. You uh, you throw a snide. I know he's done very little spawn because he did like a like a little mini part of issue like three three hundred three hundred one. But you give. I still would kill to see Snyder's interpretation of Spawn because yeah. you throw how he what he did for Batman into Spawn, and then we talk about his ideas of heaven and hell, and man, especially right now with like kind of what he's been doing Noctera and stuff. Uh-huh. I would I would kind of kill for like give just give him fucking three four issues a mini story in the Spawn universe where he's in, totally in charge of it. I don't care if it's a spinoff. I feel like series. it has to be Black Label DC at this point. Something I don't. Well, he's doing weird shit now too because he has those IDW books coming out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Then the Comicsology original. Oh, and I mean, Noctera through Image now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Like, man, that man's kind and, of. Uh, um, what's his What's his book? He's doing with Charles Soule, Undiscovered Country. Yeah, Undiscovered Country's got that too. Yeah, man, you know, he's all over the place. Yeah, he's got a shit ton of stuff. That's. I would love that. I would love that. But uh, yeah, no, this volume. I know we're just singing praises of it, but it's kind of hard not to when it's a Spawn volume this fun. Yeah, exactly. And again, it's it's also we haven't talked about Spawn in like seven months. <laughs> yeah, it's been. And I miss this, man. I do too. Like, I, again, when I was reading and taking notes down, I was like, man, this is. And again, for anyone out there, I, we always apologize for our schedule, and we promise we're not going anywhere. We will always come back unless we make it known we're not. We always are coming back. However, look. We are busy, we do a lot of crazy shit, and we do a lot of weird shit from my wrestling to his writing, the conventions, just normal day uh, jobs. And I'm fairly certain one of us has had COVID in those last few months. <sighs> yeah, COVID, I've had, <laughs> one of us had COVID, well, I fucking had a neck, a scary neck injury. I that's <laughs> right, yeah, I forgot, um, early on in your wrestling career, you had a pretty decent neck injury. Yeah, that's what sent me back for, uh, from like, what, February to April? No, January to April of this year. Uh, all good now, but uh, yeah, I will tell you guys up front: neck injuries not fun and scary. Even the small, even small ones that turn out not being that bad, it's still a fuck up, a fucking weird recovery process where you just can't turn your neck for like two months. Yeah, dude, I'm, that's I'm, I'm so glad you're okay. Yeah, no, it was fine. It ended up fine. I'm still here. I'm still, I'm still bumping, been in, doing seminars and shit, so it's cool. But, uh, man, I uh, I was trying to think, uh, oh, we normally say our favorite issue. That's what we oh, normally yeah. do. Uh, yeah. Oddly enough, legitimately, I love the art enough. 114 might be my favorite issue in this series, in this volume, just because I fucking love that art. Yeah, um, for much the same reason, I think I'm going to have to go 112. Yeah, no, it's again, it's not really... Art-wise, not a bad issue. Even story-wise, like I feel like 116 in a lesser volume might have been a favorite issue. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But luckily, we don't have to worry about that because this <laughs> volume is great. And I now am incredibly looking forward to the next volume. Me too. Um, maybe uh, we should try to do this instead of waiting our usual month. Maybe yeah. we should try to knock this out in a couple of weeks because I'm, I'm stoked to read it. I know you are too, and yeah. I know people have been missing uh, respawns. We'll, so we'll see. Yeah, I'll just say it definitely won't be the same amount of time, and I would say a lot sooner than later to expect a respawn because this was too much fun not to do again. Absolutely. Uh, but for right now, we're going to say goodbye. But we'll, we may have more for you much sooner than you think. Indeed. Um, before we go, I do want to say uh, you can find us 
all over the place on the social medias. I've actually updated my website recently, and there's some uh, fairly decent fun stuff on there, and also ways to actually access a few of my uh, some of my writing. Yeah. So if you want to go to uh, Derek Borland, M-O-R-E-L-A-N-D, dot wordpress.com I am not paying for the website yet but I soon will and I'll be able to get rid of that wordpress uh, you'll find some of my writing you'll find um, a couple of, of uh, blogs I've done recently um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram uh, I am at blah blah pod on Twitter and at blah blah podcast on Instagram I am at the real Jason way on pretty much every social media that our great and glorious God has created <laughs> Which is wonderful. I wish I, I wish my social media game were as good as yours, and I could have one name for everything. It, but I am not great. It, the, the re, I went with the generic one just because God, it is frustrating to try to find a clever one because it's either doesn't fit or it's like every different one has a different limit of characters for your name, and mm-hmm. there were several incarnations. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, right now, I don't think there's a ton coming up. Uh, I will say. Twitter is where I Twitter and Instagram I'm most active. Uh, you mentioned oh our, we haven't uh, we haven't plugged our email in forever. That's true. Uh, yes, you can email us at blahblahpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, any questions or comments on Spawn, uh, you can leave them there. Honestly, if you uh, if you're listening to this on YouTube, if you're listening to this on Spotify, uh, wherever you're listening to your podcasts, feel free to leave a comment there. I am terrible at checking those, but Colby's really good at it, and he will always tell me uh, what's going on with that. Yeah, I uh, do my best. Especially, uh, there's so many out there. But if you leave it, we will see it. I promise you. It may take. It will a, get seen. Yeah, it will be seen. It may take a minute, but we'd love that. We love. Uh, we got a lot of love last episode. Sorry again, it took so long in this one, but uh, I think it was worth it. I'm so happy. One, I'm very happy. It's on a good, a good, a very good volume. Yes, yeah, man. It would have sucked to come back to this and had to do those Houdini issues again oh or something. God, yeah, no. <laughs> but uh, we, it would have sucked. Uh, we would love to hear from you. What is? What was your personal favorite? issue in this volume what do you think is the best arc so far in spawn whether it be the kingdom whether it be stuff in the 50s the malbolgia stuff the violator thing what is your favorite arc so far in spawn because again it is hard to argue against the kingdom from beginning to end yep it's just solid but uh we thank you so much for joining us it means the world to us that you're here that you stuck with us through hiatus pop-ups delays craziness whatever might be the case we appreciate it thank you so much for listening We love each and every one of you. Uh, Have a good night. See you next time, guys.